Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is engineer and tech writer Barry Rudolph. First of all, TikTok actually really helps promote music, and especially music streaming. Well, we know that TikTok is powerful, and it's made stars like Lil Nas X, Olivia Rodrigo, Megan Thee Stallion, Doja Cat, just to name a few. Now, of course, they started there and then were blown up to be international stars by their record labels, but they got the big initial push from TikTok. So as a result, artists and labels keep on wondering how they can take advantage of TikTok, and they spend a lot of money on this with very little results. Turns out it's pretty random, but they keep trying because they know it works. Now, one of the things that happens, though, is there's some spin-off that occurs when people do find something on TikTok that they like. 75% of users discover new artists there, and 63% find that there's music that they haven't heard before. But what's most important is two-thirds of the people that use TikTok then go to streaming networks to stream that song, that artist, more and more. This is pretty significant in that it turns out TikTok is really good at promoting streaming. Now, all that being said, there's a lot of really heavy usage on TikTok, but there's very little payout. So what does TikTok pay in terms of royalties? Well, it pays about three cents per video. If you stack that up against a streaming rate from any major service, even the minor services, this is great, at least on the surface. Looks like you're making a lot of money. Well, not quite, because TikTok pays on the number of videos with your song that are made, not on views. So in other words, it's more important that a lot of people take your music and use it on their video. That's more important than actually looking at your video. What that means is if your music is on 100 videos that have no views, you actually generate more money than a single video with a million views. Not what you expected, right? fact of the matter is the royalty rate has gone up by a factor of four over two years but you're still not making a lot on tiktok any views that you get on tiktok are actually worth more off the platform than on still tiktok is very powerful to reach a certain demographic and if your music fits that demographic that's probably where you should be If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my music mixing primer and top 40 mixing secrets programs that will help take your mixes to the next level. Go to bobbyosinskicourses.com to learn more. Now, everybody responds to drumming, and it turns out there's a scientific reason why. The act of drumming has been studied by scientists and anthropologists, and they've found a number of things that are kind of significant. First thing is, drumming alerts our senses and triggers the need to move our bodies. We all know that. If you're drumming, you're moving. If you're listening to drumming, you're also moving. Drumming brings people together, but if you take it way, way back to ancient societies, it was a way for them to communicate with their spirits and gods. The earliest drums were found in China and Vietnam over 7,000 years ago, 
and they were made mostly from alligator skins stretched over a shell. They were used mostly for religious rites, and again, a way to communicate with spirits and gods. But we can dissect this even further and find out that it really goes back to primates. Monkeys beat trees to signify their aggression. Very similar to human war drums, primates have an inherent need to beat things. The drum. We all love a good drum circle, and drum circles have been common in all human societies. Lately, the more recent drum circles, the more recent societies, the more we've evolved, drum circles seem to revolve around the djembe. And the reason why it's easy to carry, but it projects a lot more than other drums. It's pretty inexpensive too, because you can get one for about $25 if you really want. I'm not saying it's going to sound good, but you can get one. But when it all comes down to it, rhythm is wired into our bones. Drumming is wired into our bones. You don't have to be a drummer to appreciate drumming. My guest this week is engineer Barry Rudolph, who's probably done more magazine gear reviews than anyone on the planet, probably by a factor of 10. As an engineer, Barry's worked on 15 gold and platinum records by artists like Leonard Skinnerd, Hall & Oates, Rod Stewart, Mick Jagger, and many more. Barry has also written more than 250 reviews of audio gear for Mix Magazine and over 2,000 for Music Connection, where he continues to this day. He was first featured here on podcast number 31, way back in November of 2014. During the interview, we spoke about the latest of Summer NAM, the state of conferences, trends in audio production, mixing in Atmos, and much more. I spoke with Barry via Zoom from his studio in Los Angeles. Let's start with your trip to NAM. Okay. Summer NAM in Nashville. Well, uh, to be expected, it was a very small show, uh, kind of made obvious by the fact that they all the booths they had to practice social distancing. So instead of uh, the usual crowded aisles and lots of intermingling of people, it was not, they were spaced out over one floor. And uh, another thing noticeable, maybe not to all, but the floor, they took up the carpeting. Apparently they decided during the COVID break that it would be easier to keep the floor sanitized if it were not carpeting, carpeted. So that meant that you're walking around on hard concrete all day. So as you, as anyone who has been to a trade show a few times, you know what that's like. So we didn't have, so, and it looked kind of, I don't know what you call it. Like we were in a warehouse. I also understand that they were charging uh, a lot of money if you just wanted to go to the show. I, I realize it's a it's an industry kind of an inside show, but people were quoting me lots of money. Okay, so the show itself, the show itself, I would say there were no apart from Yamaha and Martin guitars. There were no, as I could be wrong. Uh, Taylor was upstairs. Taylor guitars. Gibson guitars has their own facility down the streets about two blocks away walking called gibson garage so rather than have a booth you were told or i was told anyway to to walk down there to talk to them and i was there because of krk and i, I had a recent contest i gave away a pair of uh, v8s that i had reviewed and uh, they were thrilled i did the whole contest and everything so they wanted to know about that um uh, but the NAM show itself is, I'm not going to say, I don't think, I think it's 
outside of, uh, of an event that could be considered as a norm or a, a direction, a trend at all. I don't think that would be fair. Uh, a lot of people were happy they were having the show uh, at all. So it was, uh, it was an interesting show. Not very many people, very, very uh, quiet and smooth, two days only. I'm sure you remember the Summer NAM in Chicago when they used to have it. Yeah, yeah. And that was a big affair that rivaled Winter NAM easily. Oh yeah, yeah. In the well, in those days, not now. No, but no. In those days, yeah. So I sort of did my sort of straw vote about the AES show in October. Uh, I have companies and people asking me about that show, and uh, I'm awaiting. Uh, a PR firm that I work with, it takes a kind of a straw vote, if you will, uh, a kind of a uh, of uh, press members that are planning on attending that show. And they can kind of get a read for uh, uh, kind of general turnout. They did one for the summer NAM that I just came back from. And they said hardly any press went to it. <laughs> yeah, I was there in Nashville for some other things for a whole week. So it wasn't just there for the show, but but yeah, I, I, I saw very few other press members. I think, well, Craig Angerton, I can't even recall pretty much. Steve, uh, Steve Harvey, I, was Steve Harvey there? No. But people from uh, uh, Audio-Technica, Gary Boss was there, but he's, he's a uh, product specialist. He told me that they're going to the NAB. They'll be at NAB, but not the AES. Now, as you know, they're both... At the same time, it's the same ticket. I believe NAB starts a day earlier, I believe. So uh, Phil Phil Wagner brought that up. SSL will be at both shows. And I can imagine, you could well imagine how much it costs SSL to come from England or to put on a show, a trade show. It must be astronomically expensive. So they're going to be there at both shows uh, from what Phil has. They have a lot of... A lot of uh, of broadcast stuff oriented gear and new things. And they have a lot of new, new stuff uh, also for audio only. So they'll be there. Roland will be at NAB. I'm sure Yamaha will show up. I'm sure uh, some of the, some of the bigger, smaller companies will be at AES in October in Las Vegas, but wow. I mean, you, if you know anything, you know that the COVID outbreak is intense in uh, Las Vegas because of the international travel coming to that place. So uh, I guess it remains to be seen right down to the wire. I cannot get a read from AES uh, corporate, you know, the back, the powers that be at AES. I don't get it. I don't get any indication from them. They haven't told me anything. Maybe they've told you something. No, I haven't been in communication with them for quite a while. Did you see anything at NAM that was noteworthy gear wise? No. <laughs> well, I did see. It. I take that back. I saw something that it's a trend, and a new company. Uh, one well, one trend is to do these. What do they call those funding things where you you go online? Um, Crowdfunding. Yeah, they're doing that, and 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 to to get the product developed, pay for it, and it's also indicative of of if it's any good. Yeah, this is kind of like a so that's kind of a new trend. Um, but this, this product was a, a stomp box, a guitar pedal that uh, talked via your phone. You could have up to six effects chained together. And it just had a simple, uh, uh, I think, a couple of knobs and maybe a, 
a bypass switch. But the, all the effects were software uh, somewhere, I think, in your computer that you controlled with your phone. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. So the idea is your Bluetooth connected to your uh, the device and, uh, and apparently your computer. I'm trying to remember if I had the computer. I have the brochure somewhere. I don't even know if you have to have a computer. But anyway, that's kind of a new trend effects and whatnot controlled by your uh, phone but this is a guitar effect yeah yeah right. that was pretty good there's a company that was selling actually got best in show it's actually a uh, lowly uh, quarter inch uh, jack they made T- ts and trs all brass oh. right you had these pads that you would solder directly to none of those uh, none of those tabs that usually break off after a yeah. use so the use obviously is for a guitar jack on electric guitar. Obviously, I'm trying to get a pair of TRSs for some of the boxes I like to build around here. So that might be nice to have that. Definitely nice, chunky. They got best in show. I'm I'm thinking hard right now, but apart from the stuff that's kind of already out, that's really and you know Martin had some nice guitars, but that's. But that's the whole problem with trade shows these days. You know of everything that's happening already because you you know it's been leaked online. You've mm-hmm. seen it. You've seen as much as you need. You haven't played with it, but you know still you have great demos online. And of course, you know years ago that wasn't the case. You went there to see a new product and hear product that you heard about. Pick it up, hold it in your hands, yeah, yeah. walk around it a few times. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can't even do that with the plug-in, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but I don't even know why they show up at trade shows, actually. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, which brings up the whole thing about the whole the whole legitimacy and the, the need of a trade show anymore. It's becoming so expensive, and like we were talking about the union issues and all those things, it's, you know, now with COVID kind of brought out this whole uh, interaction. I mean, I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I think it's short-lived. I think I don't think they're going to be as big. That's why I mentioned the hotel thing yeah. for audio, anyway. Yeah. See, I would have thought that COVID would have killed trade shows dead. It was like it's so obvious why you don't need to do that, and everybody got experience for a year doing it virtually. Now, is it better to meet people there? Yeah, there's no question. And sure. I think that's one of the main reasons why I go, and it's probably with you too. You just see people that you, friends that you don't see otherwise. Yeah, they want to, you know, like Paul Wolf, who has his fix audio designer. He says, the only reason I did the show is so I could uh, meet and catch up with my friends. Yeah. You know, and he, he I mean, uh, frankly, I don't even think he cares if he sells anything or makes, but I think he just likes to meet his friends. He lives in Nashville. So, yeah, there were some nice, uh, nice events outside of the show, showing speakers, showing uh, software stuff like that. And by the way, I might add everywhere I went, absolutely nobody was wearing a mask. Nobody. Mm. I went to big loud parties. I went to uh, press events, you know, outside of the show. Of course, no, nobody at the show is wearing a mask. Wasn't, uh, you didn't have to. So we'll see, I guess. Uh, I'm okay. In fact, I had to get a test uh, yesterday for a upcoming cardio cardio stress test they they want you to take a covid test before you i guess because you're breathing hard and whatever so yeah and i'm fine no problem so i've had of course been vaccinated 
Let's talk about trends in general. You already hit on one, which is yeah. crowdfunding, but are you seeing any trends in the business? Uh, with regard to uh, mixing and, and that, I'm yeah. seeing I'm seeing in general more post-production style software and techniques applied to music production. So what, I'm, what do I mean? I mean, like, for example, uh, using products like Isotope RX or Accentize uh, D-Room Pro to fix problems. Basically, recordings are done everywhere in every possible situation and room and by non-technical people with the wrong gear and everything else. It's just kind of like standard operating procedure now. So the mixer to make this uh, kind of become close to being acceptable has to process a lot. Uh, D Room Pro gets rid of the room tone. You got RX uh, for denoising. There's all these products that actually came out of uh, post mostly uh, for like ADR replacement and all that. All that came out of uh, post production, a need in post production. And now it's being more and more applied to music recordings. So that's that's a trend. The remember the the music, let's call it the music producer and that the producer role now is everything from songwriting and all inclusive, as you know, that it's a whole DIY producer, engineer, songwriter, even maybe artist, musician, all these are all hats worn by the producer nowadays. And depending on your, your facility and in, in one of those arts is kind of the way that it's going to come out. You know, the thing, the technology is a lot of resistance about the technology. You know, when the old joke, you probably heard this, you know, a rock band used to be five, you know, four guys and a drummer. And now it's five guys sitting around reading manuals. (laughs) You know, it's it's true. It's it's uh, if they read the manual, which which, of course, uh, you have to go online to get the manual. They don't even print manuals on paper much anymore. But these are these are kind of old things. Uh, but I think one of the resistance is that somebody said to me, well, when I got into the music business, I, you know, I played and I, I mixed music. Now I have to be a computer person. And I have to tell people, I said, this is coming from a long time. You know, it's a long time coming, but come on, if you want to use the good tools and be able to do this, you have to be aware of using a computer and on the screen and all those things. And I think that's that's a it's an old it's kind of a tired complaint because then don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was the same thing where there was a lot of complaints about mixing in the box, and you know, the sound wasn't there, the plugins didn't sound the same, and you know, we've gotten by all of that. Yeah, and the advantages outweigh that, and especially when it comes to people that can't hear the difference anyway. It's. Uh, it's kind of a moot point at, at this time. People don't react to uh, things like, oh, I mixed it on a board. They don't react to that. They're reacting to the music. And I think, you know, what does it do to them emotionally? And I think there's a lot of emphasis put on the buying a certain microphone or having a certain microphone or, or recording chain or this, that, and the other about affecting the music. And really, honestly, people don't they don't dance. <laughs> they don't dance because you did it at 96 K, you know, they don't dance yeah. better. I mean, so I think there's a little too much emphasis on that sort of technical aspect, mostly by people that aren't really that versed about the differences in tech 
in, in technology. So I people ask me all the time. I, mean, I got a question this morning. I just put in a new uh, UFA, it's an SSL uh, controller. Um, and they asked me, do the, do the faders move faster than on the Avid S2 or something? And I said, I have no idea. You know, like, it's like, I don't know. I move the fader. It does what I want. When was that ever a problem? The kneecap days, maybe, but I don't yeah, remember it. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's motors that run the fader, and they're slower than what actually happened. Yeah. Of course, it, you're talking about a mechanical versus something that happens in software. I don't know. It's just odd to me some of the concerns that, that come up with people. And again, it's because of this lack of uh, literacy and what's going on when you do something. So I think it's fantastic. The tools we have now, the new Pro Tools version is fantastic. I have to get a new computer, but then again, it is a 12-year-old computer. Well, you got your money's worth out of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's been great, and it's it's just kind of like if I want to if I want to do the next big thing, I've got to get a, a you know a new box. It will be an Intel computer, by the way. Ah, okay, absolutely, absolutely. You're gonna go PC? Well, you know, it's a thought, but I know nothing about PCs other than the one I used, I had for a while. All I ever did was update. <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't believe how they do that. It's crazy, but but no, it'll be a it'll probably be a Mac, a 2019 Mac Pro. You know, the the tower, the 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 new cheese grater, as they say. Yeah. And yeah, it's expensive as hell, but it's a professional piece of gear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that leads me into uh, another question. Immersive audio and Atmos and. Yeah. Oh, okay. Atmos. Yeah. You have okay. experience in it. Oh yeah. Well, I sort of saw the writing on the wall in about the time that Apple decided that they were going to start doing this spatial audio versions of songs and um i and then i heard avid and dolby co-wrote a teaching pro you know a, a class and i asked avid if i could uh, audit the class because i said i get nothing but questions people call me up and these are these aren't students they're not beginners they're they're people wondering what they need to do to, to get into atmos and have an atmos studio. And I told him, I said, it would be very nice if I would audit the class so that I at least come from some bit of authority when I'm talking about this. So they said, yeah, we, we want you to do that. And in fact, they had me uh, talk to on a Zoom, talk to uh, Avid and Dolby, both the English the New York for Avid and uh, London for the Dolby people and Avid people. I know I had about 10 people on this Zoom call and I uh, they wanted to pick my brain about what I thought of the course, having taught courses like you and, and uh, you know, I had pedagogical uh, comments early on. I was emailing their tech support about so many things. It's, it's, they've smoothed out a lot. Um, and uh, I said, I, I came to the conclusion that Avid, what Avid should do is do a version of Pro Tools that is Atmos, Pro Tools Atmos, which is a complete version of Pro Tools completely optimized for the Atmos workflow. Whether or not they want to put the renderer into that or not, that's up to them. But I said, you know, you're, this would be a version of Pro Tools. Look, you could sell it. You could be a, it could be a, a, another SKU for you guys. And it would be completely optimized for that platform. In other words, it wouldn't have things like notation libraries. It wouldn't have all that stuff that has to be 
that you like to have in a mixing and music thing, but it would be more oriented towards Atmos mixing. And they kind of, hmm, I don't know. Avid, as the Dolby people had pointed out to me, Avid was the only company, you can believe this or not, but they were the only company that actually stepped up to make uh, an actual, uh, they co they co-made a playback engine for, it's a native playback engine with 130 channels for Pro Tools. And it comes as part of the production toolkit and, and enables you to have 130 uh, in, inputs to the renderer. So that alone, they stepped up and they said, okay, we're going to do this. And I, they were the only company that wanted to do that. Now you can run an Atmos mix, of course, on Nuendo. Logic's got one coming if it's not already here. Uh, and there's other other ways to to mix in Atmos, but Avid is the only one uh, that I know of that pretty much you boot it up and it kind of, it works. It's kind of a kludge, I'll add, because remember, it's coming from a time uh, the original Atmos rig had no delay compensation. It was a, what they called send return. They still have it in the software, but it's, it's, so kludgy that I could see why it didn't get a, Atmos is about 12 years old now, I think. And I can see why it wasn't adopted. Ava is the only company that kind of got in there and sorted it out so that you could actually do an Atmos mix in the box if you want to on a Pro Tools rig. Okay, let's get philosophic for a second. There's a lot of Atmos rooms going in. Yeah, yeah. There's supposedly a lot of production but i don't know that for a fact i hear of a lot of rooms going in i don't know what they're doing with them the whole thing is people still have to consume it probably the only way they're going to consume it is headphones in ear oh in ear like yeah well i think that's apple's hope one of the reasons why the record labels want it is some of the copyrights are running out they would have to revert them back to the artist now this is a new copyright that they can keep using. And also since there's fold downs involved, they can just say to Apple and Spotify and whatever, use this one instead. Yeah, that is an interesting, I didn't know about that. You know, I'd like to talk to you more about that. What's been going on? Uh, and I've talked to somebody that's involved in this kind of work uh, is the record companies go, Oh, we want this. And so it, one thing is a separate. It's a separate release on iTunes. On uh, iTunes, you have your stereo and you have your uh, Atmos spatial audio. They call it, which Apple has deemed Atmos the standard. I get that. However, the copyright owners are are freaked out a little bit because they so far Apple doesn't make any distinction between what is a remix and what is the original song. They just give you the title and the artist. So the beef is some of these remixes, which are mostly made from stems. In other words, the record company goes, we want this. So, but what we have is stems that the original production or producer made, you know, stereo yeah. drum stems, stereo keyboards, you know, stereo yeah. background, yeah. everything stereo stems. That does not make necessarily make a good Atmos mix. Uh, Atmos is object-based uh, audio. You can only do so much with just stems, feeding stems into the renderer. So the tendency is to do wacky things. So, hey, it's Atmos. So they might put 
a lot a reverb return and object channels at you know top height channels they might do some kind of uh bass enhancement and not know that you cannot put low frequencies at objects because the sound bars that you can buy for televisions and whatnot tends to roll everything i think is below 80 hertz they roll it into the lfe channel mm, yeah. which which is depending on how that's set up or if you even have one yeah. or you know a sound bar you're gonna so that one of those it's one of those uh, workflows and best practices that you learn in the class i might add uh, things like that so uh, there's so much wild things going on about it there's very few original mixes done in atmos uh, so it's going to be it's a wild west as somebody said uh, all over again it's 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 like the mono to stereo back in the 50s when stereo came out and people had recorded ping pong games you know with the balls yeah, going yeah, yeah, right it's the same thing in atmos you've got everything from the wackiest annoying things so it's going to be a lot of that for a while i think uh i think the uh the standard 714 standard or minimum standard that that uh that the dolby has set up for doing a mix um you have to be monitoring in 714 you cannot monitor through like a sound bar that's bouncing the the ceiling channels off the ceiling any of that stuff you have to actually have the uh, the channels the actual speakers so uh, everyone wants to know all about this and i said to guy at avid i said you know i just don't know i know some of it but there's so much to it and there's going to be it's such a big learning experience for everybody uh, and to uh, and of course a big expense to equip your studio that's one of the things that kind of surprises me about summer nam and maybe it's too early, but I'm expecting that some of the speaker companies are going to come out with a package, a 714 package with the controller because you need that as well. That's the biggest question. How do I change the volume on 12 speakers? Yeah. So there are a few out there. Of course, you can get an Avid, what's called a Matrix Studio, which is the 1U version of their main unit that DAD makes for them expensive. Yeah. But when you start learning about the renderer, the render is the most fantastic piece of software hardware I've seen in a long time. It does some fantastic things. It includes room, room EQ, room tuning, all that stuff. It includes delay. If you need to delay a particular object or channel for whatever to fit your room. It has gain, adjust all objects. I mean, I say objects, meaning the channels. So it's all built into that box. So I'm thinking there's going to be more of those. I think uh, there's very few of them ready to go. There's other ways of doing it, but it's certainly nice to just plug that thing in. I looked into putting a uh, an Atmos setup in here. I couldn't do it inexpensively. It would cost me more money than I'm willing to spend, but even that's okay. You know, I could write it off and I can figure out a way, but it just is not easy to do. No. Uh, well, Cali uh, Audio just had a uh, party. I, I had I missed it, but they have an Atmos room of all of their speakers. And it's, I believe it's a, I'm going to say a 914 room, I believe. 
And, you know, the most expensive Cali speaker is their three-way. It's, it's like three ninety nine each. Mm, yeah. So, and they sound great. I used, I mix on them. I have the new version, the new three-way. I think they're fantastic. And we can talk about stuff like that or warm audio people that are making great, uh, inexpensive, but good gear uh, versus uh, buying a friend of mine has uh, 13 PMCs in his Atmos room. So you know what those cost. Yes. Right. Right. So uh, anyway, so they had a, and it so happens that their office where they have the uh, showroom is across the street from Dolby. And I said, Hey, that's a nice, nice neighborhood to be in. I think, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah. I I said, do. yeah. yeah. I said, that's a nice neighborhood. So I'll get over there soon to check it all out. But I, I'm told I, good friend of mine, Tony Shepard, I told him about it and he went and he says there was a lineup around the block because there were so many people, they didn't want to allow so many people in the room. So when they do a playback, you know, it would have been crazy. So they just would allow, I don't know how many, but small groups would go in and they'd play. I think he had, they had a, a mix of weekend, which I believe is an actual originally Atmos mix. And when I talk about that, I mean, they actually had access to all the tracks clean. So they actually did a mix where, uh, unlike a stem, where everything is baked into the stem, you know, vocal sounds, compression, all that is baked into this. This is all was free. And they were able to mix an actual Atmos uh, mix. When that starts happening, then uh, it's going to really be something. Even on headphones, you can switch to binaural mode on headphones and it's pretty it's pretty good it's not as good as on speakers but i took the whole course listening on uh, binaural and headphones really wow yeah. what kind of headphones just have curiosity uh, i have a pair of well i have two pairs of audis mm, yeah. uh, you know magnaplaner and uh, but it doesn't really matter that much to have i mean it's nice to have nice headphones like that but i'm sure you could do it on any set of headphones you just don't get you don't get the full effect of actually having the sound source in the room, you know, aimed back at you versus in the headphones, but it is a binaural thing. It's, it's, it's good. I mean, uh, you're kind of strapped to that unless you have a really fast computer because uh, additional renders and like automatic live render, they call it where you can actually, if you have, if you have a separate renderer that's running on its own computer, which is the way you do it for, for theatrical, you can actually monitor while you're mixing, while in real time, you can monitor what it sounds like in stereo. That would be a stereo, a 2.0 render, or you could hear it in 5.1 or 7.1, or you can hear the Atmos mix actually as you're doing it. Wow. So one of the reasons to do that is that you cannot measure uh, loudness per Netflix and other uh, streaming services in Atmos object-based audio, it's impossible to measure loudness right now. So when you render real time and say five, one, you can measure the, the uh, loudness of that in that format. So you got a pretty good idea. So Netflix doesn't, doesn't get their shorts in a bunch over too loud. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, so when you have fast enough computational power, you can do that stuff in real time. Pretty cool. Not having that, I ran the renderer alongside Pro Tools all in the box, and I could listen in on stereo and uh, in binaural or stereo. So uh, at least I could do that. Very cool. Yeah, lots to it. 
yeah. a lot of education to be done, to be learned, a lot of workflow and best practices to be learned and adhered to. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. We'll see. It made me excited for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. excited about audio in a way I haven't been in a long time. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I think, is the feeling because of this Atmos thing. I, I, that's for, if anything at all comes out of it, it, I think that a lot of people, engineers and mixers and artists, are all energized behind the, fa- the actual concept, let's say, of immersive sound and what they could do with that. And I think a proper Atmos mixing room with a proper Atmos mix is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. It is. It is. Sound bars and all that can be set up to be pretty good for most theatrical and movie stuff, but you can get a Sonos makes a really good one. They're not cheap. Really nice one. Actually has the side channels take side the wall channels are taken care of. Yeah. Ceiling. And then you have uh they're all on uh, Bluetooth. All the speakers are Bluetooth. And uh, they figured out all that and pretty cool. You can find out more about Barry at barryrudolph.com. That's barryrudolph, R-U-D-O-L-P-H, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At BobbyOsinski.com and BobbyOwnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.